0: Welcome to the Keeping Things Alive podcast out of Buffalo, New York. My name is Laura Evans, and I'm the author of Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. I'm also a natural resources planner, an active environmental lawyer, animal lover, and gardener. John Washington co-creates the podcast with me. John is an organizer, political trainer and educator, and Afrofuturist. The Keeping Things Alive Podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, harsh, and interconnected planet Earth. Okay, the recording started. Hi John. Hi Laura, how you doing? <laughs> Good. I like being, yeah, on the same microphone as you now, so we can kinda of talk to each other instead of being, yeah.
1: All we need is one mic. One
0: mic, yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, this is the last episode of season seven, which is, was kind of a short season. But yeah, I wanted to kind of talk with you about what's happened over the past couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, what, what you've learned this season, I guess. Yeah, it was a little bit shorter. I didn't really do many uh, live interviews, you know, and post them. But I did talk a lot about my book. And then I recorded um, a few of those. Like, I was on Jim Anderson's radio show. So we, I did a lot. Yeah. You wrote so, a book. so yeah, what was the season like for you and you um, were
1: a little more involved? I, I like the season. I think, um, you know, it definitely shows your love and appreciation of water and people who are dealing with um, the ways that our our whole water system is, is reacting to how much we've abused it long-term. So I think about, yeah, Mark, who's we'll to this one that's coming up. Um, I think that, you know, yeah your book is an extension of your podcast and this really goes into depth and more about like you and who you are and we all see a little bit of that in your episodes, but much more in your book. And so I think episodes about your book are cool. Um and then yeah, it's been a very difficult year uh, and uh difficult and escalating years um layering on each other. So I think that um it was concise and it really like matches like who who you are and like what you want to see in the world and what you want people to understand. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I've been reflecting back a little bit on it. And it really has been, you know, just I started writing that book in that book program like a year ago. So that was sort of at the end of season six. And then, you know, I started season seven while I was trying like selling the book and like talking to more people about the book, sharing the book. And so it's really hard to make a podcast and write a book at the same time and so on. And I know that like they are very interconnected, but I've just been reflecting back on like, yeah, it's like how, how to like create or foster and then maintain like creative energy and like just the ways that I, you know, outside of work want to communicate about sustainability and the different um, pieces of environmental law, and then also like social justice work that I have been, because that's really, I think one of the biggest lessons of the whole podcast arc is just um, how I went into it, keeping things alive with all these environmental issues. And then I continue to really hit on environmental justice and social justice issues. So yeah, I guess as I've been making this season of the podcast, I've also been trying to re-release some old episodes from old seasons. And that's another part of this reflection process is that I have chosen now like 10 episodes that I want to re-release that are about sustainability and kind of connect to my book. Um, Cause I, I have like over 80 episodes that are like off or maybe like 75 episodes that are offline right now. So I'm trying to like re-release them in themes. And, you know, I have these sustainability ones, but I know that there's going to be a social justice re-release. Um, I want to do some, I have two episodes about Afrofuturism that I want to release in February. I have like this little collection of nuclear waste and weapons episodes that deals with uh, Western New York. So yeah, this season has been a lot of re, re- like review, reflect um, and yeah, re-releasing uh, different, you know, or getting ready to do that, I should say. And then even the interview with Margaret Wooster, that's a part of this season, I actually interviewed her in like September, 2021, Mm -hmm. but then I just kind of fell into the book and fell into other things. And so, yeah, I just, all of that to say. Other thing I wanted to talk about um, beyond this uh, season with the podcast, oh, and then you did your ballot review. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. I liked how you did the ballot review after the election we've always done them like before which i think is useful to help people get prepared to vote but i also really liked the like reflections after so that's another piece of this season that's really good um okay but yeah i guess i also just want to talk about you know things that have happened during this season like outside of it i forget when it actually exactly started i think i started it in august or september um but yeah since then um I don't know. It's been crazy. Or really, what I—I I guess I want to talk about the blizzard that just happened mm-hmm. mostly. You know, what do what do you want to say about
1: it? Um, I think that you know, one. I think that blizzards, tornadoes, like I think people think a lot about hurricanes, but not about what a blizzard actually is, uh, because most people have never experienced one. Living in Buffalo, I think I've experienced you know two or three. um, but I think I really want people to like land that, like you know, it's like a hurricane with water, and I think that it was, uh, ice or, or snow with with snow, yeah, sorry. yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's like you know, you have these impacts, and then you have like the snow that's left over, and I just think that the blizzard is is really a um, it ties together the conversations about climate change, um, environmental racism, and and I think the the way in which We are all not aware or prepared for how fragile our systems are, they seem so solid. They seem, like when they're working, they seem perfect and like they're run by geniuses. And then the reality is everybody is always, and we know this as employees, like, everybody's always scrambling to like figure out how to keep everything afloat. Um, and so I think that as we get more and more climate disasters, they're gonna get worse and worse as far as impacts. And I hope that that raises a lot of awareness. I know I can feel that Buffalo was a different city uh, for what happened and everyone in it, regardless of like privilege levels. Um, Got very clear about the need to plan, uh, the need to understand, um, because yeah, I think that there was just a lot of unnecessary death. Um, our systems are not—I don't even want to like harp on the individuals in them that much anymore. They're just not designed um, to change and to adjust and to react. They're designed to maintain power. All of them are centered in maintaining power different Mm -hmm. ways, race, class, gender, all those things, but they're not designed to like help. power. Right. right. They're not, yeah, they're not designed (laughs) to manage, uh, you know, grids and systems. And so just, you know, doing some of the work that we did, um, at push and other places, like seeing how much our fossil fuel companies know, like who's going to have power, who's not going to have power. Um, seeing how much public utilities are really private corporations that could be doing so much more to like manage these things in the, in these situations. Um, And then just personally living without media and electronics for almost three days, like really had a profound impact on me um, and helped me kind of see how I use technology to numb myself and to distract myself. Um, and, And then there's always this like weird, like, because our systems are so fucked up, it's like how can I as an individual constantly take responsibility, like even mentally for like all the things that all these systems are not gonna do. And yet, you know, you kind of get lazy, like, well, I can't take all that responsibility. But the reality is there is a set of responsibilities we have to take for ourselves no matter what. And when you're in a moment where you think you can die, you know, it doesn't matter like who should be helping you. Right. Mm-hmm. It, 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 what it matters is like, can I help myself? And I think that in our kind of liberal political conversation that that we've gotten to in this country, um, doing things for yourself has actually become like pejorative in some places and there's just this very like government should do everything and i believe that the government has the resources and the capacity to do so much more um but it doesn't matter if it's not right and i think that i just thought much more about the balance between trying to change systems trying to improve them and also you know and 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 i think this is why your book is so important because it really does you know say like you we have to stop Um, banking and thinking about these systems in these ways and really figure out how to live for ourselves. So I honestly um, think that the whole blizzard experience for me, really just like reinforced all of the lessons of your book. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Yeah. Me too. In a lot of ways. Um, I think, yeah, it's been, I agree with you about like, yeah, it's just like, you can like complain and try to change systems as much as you want, but like when there's a blizzard and you don't have power, like it doesn't really like it's now and you have to deal with it. and it, But it's also, so it's like, but it's not even individual, it's more like neighborhood or mm-hmm. family or like extended like friend and family or like whatever it is, but like there has to be like a support network to be able to check in on each other and things. And I guess I just want to say that like we're recording this on January 5th and the blizzard started, like we lost power on December 23rd and like in the afternoon and got it back on like Christmas afternoon, which was like pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, That was a really uh, good feeling. But yeah, in that period of time, like this house was 35 degrees, we were able to like, use a gas stove to like heat up water and the air. And I know that like gas stoves are like, you know, on their, they're, you know, they're really getting vilified right now. But I, I don't know me personally, like after just going through this experience, like I like, I love my stove <laughs> and I love, yeah, we were able to like, you know, cook hot food during that time. But yeah, we had no access to electronics and the internet. And like, we. I just, I remember like really having to choose like when and how to use my phone. And, you know, we did get power back on when I, you know, I would have lost phone batteries like that day but I was you know lucky and and then just yeah knowing like all the suffering that is in and around us has been really profound um and I do I could keep talking about this for like a long time but yeah I do think that my my book especially like chapters 9 and 10 like when it's really like pandemic pause uh make chicken noodle soup and then like moving forward and just really trying to like You know, just really focusing on what's important and what is sustainable, like what makes people like move forward. So, yeah, this blizzard has been crazy. And the other crazy thing about this being the season wrap is that I'm about to present um, a past recording that I made I say the I keep forgetting right now. All my dates are getting mixed up, but it was about um, maybe like a month ago that I interviewed uh, John Heim. And this is the second time that I've interviewed him. And so we're going to kind of close out the season with his interview, which is already up on Facebook. But I am um, re-releasing it on YouTube and as a podcast because it's about 30 minutes and he is a person who... Um, who is a, you know, victim of Hurricane Ian and the aftermath and all the water quality issues that are in South Florida. So I'd interviewed him about a year or so ago about red tide (coughs) in in Tampa Bay and Florida and all the problems with like fertilizer plants and climate change and all that. And he contacted me pretty like You know, in a panic, uh, that he really wanted to like get the the word out about what was going on. A few months after Hurricane Ian really decimated Fort Myers Beach and this entire island, yeah, that he lives on or had lived on. um, You know, he'll explain it went from seven thousand people to now two hundred people are living there. Um, You know, it's just it's really been this ongoing recovery effort, and you know, I don't want to like belabor it too much but I just see the real like connections like the similarities and the differences between recovery after a hurricane and recovery after a blizzard and like just the dangers of like being an extreme cold like after like all these like you know two days of like just non-stop wind and snow um and now like you know, we're like a couple what are we, a week and a half later? And like, there's no snow on the ground anymore. It's been 40 degrees and all of it's melted. So just how all that um, ties together. And I also just throughout this entire podcast have really seen so many parallels between Western New York and Florida, because A lot of people who live in Western New York also have homes in Florida. They vacation in Florida, Florida, like whole neighborhoods that I know of, like will go down to another neighborhood in Florida. And so I just have really wanted to like put a, deep, like, uh, examination on that practice and how sustainable it actually is. And, you know, in the aftermath of this hurricane, like, and they're thinking about building back, like, how to do that. And then also, like, as Buffalo recovers from this blizzard, like, how do we do that? Like, I yeah, my livelihood depends on the internet and I'm like a remote worker and I just know there's like two little plugs that like are, you know, my whole internet and my whole livelihood. So, you know, what does it take to like really survive in this moment and to like be resilient and actually like live and thrive in this moment, not just survive it. So, um, yeah. What did you think you listened to, uh, the interview that I had with John yesterday? Um, you know, what did you think of it?
1: Um, one, I just want to say as long as our lives are dependent on the internet, there like there will be no sustainability or justice. Yeah. And being snowboard is not sustainable, right? The right. the amount of travel uh and the amount of privilege we have to like want to move and live wherever we want are really problematic. And I think the I really like the interview. I like John. I think that he um is clearly a survivor and someone who has learned, you know, and really self-advocated and learned how to survive. And really when I listen to him, you know, you just question why why does he have to survive this way um if i were the president of the united states i would be a 10-year plan to evacuate the entire state of florida uh, and just learning about not just the hurricane itself but like the impact on public health that the algae blooms and like all of these other like imp- so like you know agree, every, everybody's kind of got this attitude like okay if you could survive the hurt you know but it's like just really learning about like the constant battle with the impacts of um, you know, just its geographic position, and then yeah, just being a state full of resorts and Disney World, and you know, not industry, but like tourism pollution, which I think is something that um, is just harder for people to like wrap their heads around that like it's the state's economy is its attraction, and that's why it's it's going to collapse. And I and I feel for people like John and others who who live there and whose leaders are not really informing them about how fragile. Um, their, their ability to live in that state is. Um, so I'm, I'm always interested to hear like how that's impacting real people on the ground and you know, not, oh, there's a study about this algae bloom, but like, this is what it's like to be a person in the neighborhood that can't drink their water or that is constantly get, getting so sick that they get to be buddy-buddy with the CDC um, because their local doctors do not know how to address um, what is a, a climate. And I would say it was like a climate pandemic, like because of what happens in the climate you know, the, the, the health of everyone in those neighborhoods is always at risk and then cumulative over time, like what that does to people. And I, you know, we've seen what it's done so far, and I, I don't see anybody solving any of these problems anytime soon. So um, it's also really sad to think about how much struggle there has been and the fact that they all know that, you know, next year, come August, September, it's just going to happen again. And continue happening to them. So I, I think it's a great episode, and um, yeah, I, I really like I really like you interviewing someone who is like on the ground and living an actual life um, in this situation, and not someone who studied it or written articles about it. Because I think that's why all this stuff is so easy to ignore um, because it gets depersonalized.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I I really, like, just watching the interview, again, I hadn't watched it since I recorded it. I, I really love it. And I think, yeah, like, John is a survivor. Um, there's definitely, I just want to say, like, since I've posted the video, like, there have been some, like, comments and controversy about, like, things that he's done, like, you know, to his family or financially or whatever. And I just, to me, it all just, like, backs up like what he's saying in his interview that he has like you know, suffered a lot of like PTSD and mental health issues from the cyanobacteria, like air quality thing that, that happens. Um, And that's part of the red tide. And then he explains how cyanobacteria is also here in the Great Lakes. Um, There's algae blooms every summer, especially in the Western part of Lake Erie. And, you know, this is like, actually it's a water and air quality issue at the same time. And then it's a neurotoxin that makes, I mean, he, you know, he talks about like all of the mental health uh, issues that he suffers um and then just yeah he really like that there are so many people still on the ground like living in tents like relying on a church to feed them meals every day and so and he himself is a climate refugee so I just yeah I want to say like I believe him I can see how much he's suffering and like it's really yeah horrible that like people who have been living in Florida their entire lives and have just been you know back and forth on a lot of things like it's it's very clear that like yeah they're a lot of responsibility is putting on them when they're already like suffering a lot. And so, you know, I'm sure that like he has hurt some people and I'm sure that he has helped some people. And I really do see how all of these environmental and climate issues are like interconnected. They impact people's mental health and how we all treat each other. And it's just like, it's really heartbreaking. And then there's also like real parallels. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm really like, you know, per happy that i interviewed him i wish i didn't have to talk about a blizzard right now but like it just all seems very uh connected and fitting and yeah just we really do need to be like relying on each other more uh trusting each other more and then just like giving each other more like support (laughs) and understanding and also yeah i that's all i'm gonna say but i really do um I can just, yeah, just doing the interview and then watching it again, I can just like really feel like how important this is for people to be listening and paying attention. And yeah, I'm, yeah, thanks for (laughs) being here, John, you too. Um, I'm about to try to figure out how to present this video now and (laughs) um, sign off. I will be like, we both will be like re-releasing old episodes and kind of like introducing them through this video platform um, I'll be starting that in a few weeks, so yeah, stay tuned and thank you very much. <laughs> good. Yeah. All right, all right. Let's see how I present this. A video file. Mm-hmm. It is right here. John, I'm an Hurricaneian. All right, the recording is started. Hi, John. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for asking.
0: Yeah, um, I'm really glad that you contacted me uh, yesterday and that we could get on this uh, StreamYard. Um, I know that we talked last year about the red tide. And so can you just tell me a little bit about yeah who you are, what your background is, um, just a little bit and then where you are right now?
2: Um, sure. Uh, my name is John i uh, I'm the leader of a group called the Southwest Florida Clean Water Movement based out of tiny Fort Myers Beach, Florida seven mile island It was decimated by hurricane ian just recently uh our primary goal was to uh stand up against uh pollution when it comes to our particular waterways and it started out you know some 20 years us uh protecting our own you know neck of the woods so to speak and then we branched out to uh not only be statewide uh highly recognizable if not national all the way to international and uh you know mm. we look at it like uh clean water as a basic human right and uh we all deserve that so we're advocates activists we like to call ourselves uh actual concerned citizens
0: right yeah okay thank you no that's that's really good so i'm really uh sorry about everything with hurricane ian can you speak more about what has happened uh to where you live and yeah what what you're doing now and yeah i guess yeah. Focus on kind of your experience during the storm and then up to now.
2: Sure. Maybe yeah. Um, through that, you know, the, uh, hurricane was approaching, um, they were predicting it to go to Tampa, which is a little north of us and Fort Myers beach. Um, so, uh, evacuation when it comes to the, you know, leaders, elected, elected officials, county commissioners, uh was hesitant to uh put a warning out to evacuate a lot of people did stay as a result and uh as the hurricane shifted and came you know right up our alleyway the storm surge was uh something we had never seen before so we're talking about a 15 foot to 20 foot uh storm surge was more like a tsunami and Mm. um you know completely leveled uh the community um Mm. Tons of fatalities in in the sense that, uh, you know, I think we're up to 170 now uh, when it comes to, you know, Lee County, especially the beaches and the barrier islands. Uh, For me particularly, my story was, uh, you know, I evacuated just uh, over the bridge the night before, barely got out as the storm was uh, approaching and the surge was rising. And, you know, at 6 a.m i'm um, just on the other side of the bridge if you can imagine fort myers beach is a barrier island i came wow. back over the bridge uh, around 6 a.m sunrise and uh started to meander down the main road which is called sterile boulevard and i uh, just could not believe my eyes it was an ap- apocalyptic type scene and right. uh, with it you know no first responders just yet so i was kind of like the first person eyes on the ground and uh sadly seeing many fatalities and uh, you know injured people uh, it was really really devastating to see not only your community dead but to actually see people on the ground who had also uh, passed away from this year hurricane
0: wow yeah and i just i'm so sorry and that's yeah that's a very very intense experience so we're recording this on december 14th and this happened uh, at the end of September, right? Like right into October. So, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That is. Yeah. That's a lot. So, what what's been going on um, since you came back to all of this devastation?
2: Okay, so uh, you know, about a good uh, eight weeks, if not, you know, longer, had passed since the storm, and um, you know, people are in a rush to build back. Of course. And that's just not going to happen. You know, you go through the red tapes and you learn a lot of things like from FEMA all the way down to small business associations and even uh, local governments, state governments, and even federal governments. uh, You know, the money's slow to come in. Uh, People are devastated, literally in limbo. Don't know whether they have the right to rebuild or not to uh okay. the left on the beach are starving so they're trying to set up you know food uh distribution centers at you know beach baptist church down there in connecticut street in the Stero. if anybody's listening please help them out one of the main needs down there is feeding people that are stranded on that island and here we are like we said uh two plus months later and uh you know humanitarian aid is basically lacking
0: okay where are you living now and where are people yeah. living
2: that well know. you know when i was there uh after the storm you know for quite a number of weeks i was living in a tent just like most people on a yeah. uh, french property and you know right there on the canals in the bays uh right by the gulf of mexico uh these people are living out of shells of houses because they're in limbo mm. and uh, with it not just distress of people not knowing you know what to do and uh living in such squander you know uh people aren't used to living in tents for over two months uh when it comes to barrier islands but Mm. then you throw in the actual uh toxins involved so uh okay you know the water because of the hurricane you know it has cyanobacteria in it and a red tide bloom was just offshore it got pushed in and then you have all of the like chemicals from uh, cars uh boats and you know you you name it everything went into the water and created a uh, basic eco storm so of course we had hurricane ian as a storm but we're now facing an eco storm when it comes to the toxins that are uh, becoming aerosol and the citizens mm-hmm. are becoming sick left and right including myself
0: okay wow yeah i I've definitely, um, you know, I've seen like um, after the levees broke, and you know, think a lot of stuff about different hurricanes, and like, you know, there's always the storm itself that kind of gets caught on like news, but then there's everything that happens afterwards. And I know that there's just like years on years of hurricanes without, you know, adequate support that just doesn't get covered. So I'm glad you're talking about this. Is there any other like information that you want to <coughs> share about? Um, I don't know, like relief efforts or availability of aid for people that might be listening or, yeah, ways yep. that people could support, um, either people that are near you, like actually on the ground or people that are listening to this, like, you know, I'm here in Buffalo, New York.
2: Well, anybody that's listening, uh, it doesn't matter if you're near the geographical area of the hurricane hit, uh, or far, um, there's a staging ground and that is the, uh, Fort Myers beach Baptist church. And they have FEMA tents there. They have, uh, you know, psychological tents there for people that are suffering PTSD and trauma and uh, mm-hmm. showers and such like that. But uh, the thing that we're really calling out is, you know, Beach Baptist Church is single handedly trying to feed uh, 300 meals a day, you know, for lunch mm-hmm. and then 300 more at night. And the uh, need is great. And we're running out of resources. So if anybody's listening, please contact pastor sean Christer on uh, estero boulevard and connecticut street at the beach baptist church to help donate uh, much needed food to you know keep these people going we're not talking about uh, contractors we're talking about residents that have come back or stayed and uh, literally trying to uh, figure out if they're going to be able to rebuild or not and in the mix of it there's no food so there's no grocery stores open everything was demolished Um, You can imagine trying to go through a 24-hour period with no food. So uh, we're definitely asking people to uh, do the right thing, get a hold of Pastor Sean Christer and his wife, Sherry, at Beach Baptist. Um, If anybody needs information, you can message me on Facebook and I'll directly link you to them. Um, When it comes to the uh, aftermath, uh, things are going to be slow, no question about it. Um, This place was walloped. Think of Mexico Beach when Michael hit it. Um, they're still cleaning up five years later. Um, you know, Fort Myers Beach is a barrier island. So, uh, you know, when it comes to rebuild, the question arises of how we're going to rebuild. Everyone is in a rush to rebuild the way it was. I can guarantee you it's never going to be what it was. And if we're smart about this, we'll let a barrier island be a barrier island. And what I'm trying to translate there is, hmm. you know, build, build back sustainable to what a you know, barrier island is. Right. We need to adapt to a barrier island, not the other way around. So put mm. mangroves on the beach at fronts, not giant mini mansions for such.
0: Right, yeah, and um, I've definitely talked about the importance of barrier islands or like buffer areas along the Great Lakes um, up here in Buffalo, but can you explain why barrier islands are important to stay as like mangroves and just, You know the natural ecosystem like what why is that so important
2: well yeah i mean it's very obvious to to me being a person of water quality and maybe not so obvious to the average joe who moves down here from ohio and thinks that they can turn florida into ohio um Mm -hmm. you cannot like have fertilized grass yards on the beachfront you need mangroves as buffer zones uh mangroves not only are buffer zones naturally that's why they're there but they also clean the water and uh do their job you can take an example of a place called bunch beach which is just between fort myers beach and sanibel where there's a mangrove forest in the right spot on the mm-hmm. beachfront and it the first line of mangroves took the hit real hard but all mm-hmm. of the buildings behind it through the mangrove forest suffered no damage as opposed to mm-hmm. all the burial islands who insist on putting these you know hotels and uh you know conglomerate uh, mini mansions on the front line. So, you know, you got to ask yourself, uh, when it comes to rebuild, is it worth it to have a mini mansion or a hotel on the beachfront when it's possibly going to probably with climate change, these storms are going to get stronger, not going to be there in the future. Just take a look around at Fort Myers beach. Now, if you were to have mangrove forest there, all of those buildings would still be there.
0: Mm, Right. Right exactly because it absorbs so much of the energy of these storms and like yeah everything it's like it's made to move they're made to move and they're made to absorb shock and like high intensity weather so yeah i've i've always thought it's it's absolutely wild that yeah i mean i learned in college that you're not supposed to build up in you know flood plains but everywhere i look it happens so and then florida is the worst
2: it was a time bomb ticking for our coastal region, um, mm-hmm. you know. In the FEMA, you know, disaster map, you know, we're right there. We're below sea level. Um, mm-hmm. How long do you think you can get away by bringing in conglomerate, you know, uh, multi-million resorts like Margaritaville before mm-hmm. Mother Nature finally has the last word? You know.
0: Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, I definitely, one of my questions for you is how has, um, Hurricane Ian and the aftermath affected the people of South Florida? I'm also curious about like how big of a region, I mean, you know, you've mentioned like these barrier islands, but then how far, like what other places in Florida And I'm also curious about like plants, animals and wildlife and yeah, what's kind of going on in the ecosystem.
2: Okay. So that's a great question. Um, so, you know, Fort Myers beach, for example, seven mile Island, um, the storm pretty much stretched from uh, Fairfoot Beach, which is in Benita Springs, Lover's Key area, uh, okay. one of the most world-renowned state parks. And it stretches all the way up to about Inglewood, uh, Florida. You know, you're mm-hmm. talking about a 100 miles of uh, devastation here when it comes okay. to the coastlines and uh, the surge. But uh, the surge was more prevalent on Fort Myers Beach. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you speak of, like, how is it coming back? Um, not so well, to be honest with you. Uh, the ge- geology, the geography of the beach itself was absolutely torn up and uh, reconfigured. The infrastructure and the roads was ripped up, and the pipes are sticking out of the ground. Um, you know, so absolute, you know, devastation. Now, when it comes to the wildlife, uh, what we're seeing is because there's no people, obviously. Uh, on the island, very few. It's usually a uh, consensus report that about seven thousand people live annually on Fort Myers Beach, and oh, there's about
0: okay.
2: two to three hundred people there right now. And oh. with that, there's you know incredible chance and obvious recognition that the wildlife is healing itself. uh The you know trees are growing back. The mangroves immediately grew back. The birds mm. are coming. The dolphins are there. And such like that, but said okay. the water is so polluted. Uh, right. One you
0: know, I was going to ask you about that because I know um, when we talked about red tide before, its impact on wildlife was huge. But that does sound a lot like a lot of the like you know initial COVID quarantine reports of like a lot of animals coming back like incredibly quickly <laughs> um, when things stopped with people. Um, okay, so yeah and they should, we're you know. like going we're going through my questions pretty quickly um but i i understand like you yeah you have a, a message and you really you know need to get this out to people because yeah i mean the news cycle that i you know kind of see is like pretty brutal you know it's crazy it's like you hear about hurricane season and then you never hear about hurricane after the you know season and now it's turning into december so um yeah i don't know i just i'm curious about what other information would be good to, for people to know um yeah i guess what do you think about how people can support this or what to do if they don't live in florida or what well, do you, you want can- them- what do you want people to know that don't live in florida
2: you're florida. now because uh it's the same cycle no matter where a hurricane or natural disaster it doesn't have to be a hurricane natural disaster hits it's in the you know media stream for about a week if that and then people go about their business
1: i have mm. a
2: saying i always have in my speeches about clean water which i end my speeches this way uh, unfortunately we live in a society where it doesn't really matter unless it happens to you you know so sure people feel bad about what mm. happened for about a week until the next news cycle <laughs> comes along and they forget right about it um, right what people can do is not forget about us um we already have the feeling that people have already forgotten about us and what we need is for people to you know as these resorts you know slowly reopen or uh you know even there's a lot of donation funds out there you can search uh, again back to the beach baptist uh church you okay. can look them up and donate to them um you know and try to do your best to support an area that has been walloped i mean even if it's just sending you know facebook messages that you know people that are from there and say hey hang in there because mm-hmm. the devastation is so unreal it's delusional um every day mm-hmm. it ranges from people trying to fake it till they make it with a smile to on their mm-hmm. hands and knees crying in complete despair so mm-hmm. uh, you can imagine any kind of support whether it's emotional Financial or even coming on down here and trying to help out with volunteerism at the Fort Myers Beach Baptist Church. That would be great
0: Okay, thank you. I i am definitely I haven't done it in a while But i'm definitely going to write up show notes for this and put it on the website and then be able to share more um, So yeah, if you can like Yeah, facebook message me links. Um, I'll start adding them to a, a web page um, but yeah, I really um, appreciate you, yeah, reaching out and doing this um, and sharing information, I guess. Yeah, it's been, it's been really good. Um, I, you know, the yeah, one I'm thing happy I to, to keep talking of, more of that yeah, what else is there to say?
2: Well, the one thing I want to speak of is, uh, you know, these toxins that are in our water. Okay. So, mm. in 2018, Hurricane Irma came through and the same exact thing happened a few months later it created an eco storm where cyanobacteria met red tide and it was a super bloom and people became very ill with cyanobacteria in their bloodstream me included so here we go again it happened at the exact same time red tide was lingering off the coast pushed in the army corps of engineers figured it was a good time god knows why to release water from lake okeechobee which cyanobacteria is in it and the two mixed again uh you know part of the reason why i'm having this conversation is to raise awareness about cyanobacteria i just today as a matter of fact got back from a hospital because i'm suffering from the ramifications of being down there and having you know cyanobacteria in my bloodstream and it being inflamed by the toxins not only in the water in the air you don't have to go in the water these toxins they become aerosol okay so antitoxins sex toxins and such like that these are extremely harmful to uh people's livers uh immediate liver damage and you know just today i was at the hospital and you know shows early signs of dementia and so on so then right. you get into a uh, you know red tide where that's a neurotoxin and that affects your respiratory system and uh you know your central nervous system as well mm-hmm. so you know on all ends you feel like uh you know you're going crazy because you're showing early signs of you know neurodegenerative of disease and central nervous system breakdown mm-hmm. and uh liver damage and then uh you know you're suffering from uh respiratory issues and so you go to the doctor like I did today and uh mm-hmm. you know what i noticed is we have to have the medical field become more educated about cyanobacteria and its dangers and okay. cuz Every time you go to the doctor, the hospital, they say, well, I don't really understand this. I don't know what you're talking about. Lucky for me, I have connections with the CDC because I've been sick since 2018 with cyanobacteria. And they gave me a number because they were expecting the doctor to do this. So yeah. then I have the doctor call CDC and has to literally walk the doctor through in a completely different state or yeah. doesn't know where you are through a you know basic webinar. Of how to treat cyanobacteria patients. And we have to get the medical field to come out of the dark ages and learn about this because it's extremely prevalent. It's not just Fort Myers Beach Mm. or Sarasota or the Gulf Coast. Lake Erie is a great example of where it started. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all
2: all the way to uh, the people that are studying this at the brain chemistry labs had made the link from Guam to the exact same thing we're dealing with here in Fort Myers Beach, Florida. So, you know these people tested. You know over a hundred people, and a hundred people came back positive with cyanobacteria.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, no, that I've definitely heard about um, algae blooms on, especially the western side of Lake Erie, and that comes from a lot of agricultural practices. And I know that there's some fertilizer plants down by you, right? So when yeah, the- we're
2: dealing with uh, U.S. Sugar, who you know, of mm. course, chemicals and fertilizers but you know you gotta you know i'm not into blaming boogeymen they are definitely one but uh uh, we're also a part of the problem Uh so uh, you know it's like the other me too movement it's all about me right nobody really thinks about what happens when you flush your toilet when it comes to outdated infrastructure uh septic Uh and so forth and right uh, Human waste, so yeah, we're the too. Fertilized lawns, like you had said, you know, like mm. Florida, you want to plant, you know, native and natural, so not have a fertilized like everywhere, yeah. yeah.
0: So, but what, what's you know, native to a place, you know, you need you need what's good for the barrier islands of Florida, we need correct, And Lake Erie, yeah, yep.
2: And you know, like rather than greed. Cause you know, you can't drink money. Let's, let's be honest. So when they build back, you know, it's going to be all about like more conglomerate, you know, high rises and such like that rather than sustainable. My hope Mm. is not they will listen to the activists and advocates to build back sustainable with like, Mm. you know, natural, you know, conducive, uh, you know, plants and such like that to a barrier islands. But uh, it goes back to uh, a greed factor these people take kickbacks as politicians, get what they want when it comes to developers and Mm. people that pollute our water, such as us sugar in our case. And, you know, once again, to reiterate, when are these people going to learn that they can't drink money?
0: Mm. Yep. Well, I hope really, really, I hope yesterday, but yeah, if not tomorrow and now. So yeah, but it is crazy. Um, yeah, I don't really understand, uh, where the, where the blindness is or, but yeah, I think you're right. It must be greed. Um, trauma. There's, there's systems. There's so many things. I, I've been thinking about it a lot up here, up in Western New York. I mean, we have a huge, like, legacy of steel production and lead pollution and a lot of environmental justice issues, but it's really interesting how environmental, I mean, it's terrible how environmental justice can, really it's everywhere and it, it kind of shows up differently in different places, but there's always overlaps. And yeah, I think, um, people without a lot of, um, you know, ability to like, yeah, without a lot of money or power are not, they're suffering the health consequences and
2: life. Yeah. But we should never, uh, as the little guy, stop fighting back because hmm. let's face it politicians, um, you know, they're beholden to special interest. When it should be the other way around, they should be beholden to the uh, constituents. So there's right. a lot more bus, you know, to uh, yeah. enforce it as an I, issue.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, if someone is listening and would like to get involved with that kind of work with you, uh, where should they visit?
2: Well, they can certainly uh, personal message me, email me at low tide films at gmail or follow the southwest florida clean water movement on facebook um okay. we're always taking on new members at one point we were up towards a uh, hundred thousand members and remember we started as a ragtag group on a seven mile island with two members so if p- little guys like us can do it so can you and uh, you know we encourage all activists and advocates for clean water clean air and a clean environment uh not only you know where we're from statewide or uh you know even throughout the country and especially internationally Um, we have to band together as people with voices and have these politicians you know actually you know do their job when it comes to instead of taking money from you know major corporations and allow them to pollute our waters and hit them with a small fine you know it's time to listen to the people because we have future generations to think about and there's many causes out there like to always point this out many causes out there and all of them are valid but none of them would anything without clean water so we all need to be band around the idea of clean water as a basic human right
0: all right thank you so much john for being here and um yeah i guess i will give you the last word though Um, i i guess you ended it pretty well right there but i don't want to leave anything out so um yeah final word and then we'll say goodbye
2: sure i mean you know final word like where do i go with a final word uh <laughs> it's an uphill battle
0: but all right if, I if say, you're out of the okay i have a more specific question i'm sorry um please go ahead what, what are your plans for 2023 like what are you um like, yeah, what, what are you, where do you go from here? And like, what do you hope for for next year? What do you expect for next year? And, yeah, you know, what are your, like, what's your vision for the water movement?
2: Well, that's a great question. Um, right now, I find myself first time as a climate change refugee. In other words, I don't have a home. I'm just mm-hmm. uh, meandering around the country. But what I'm doing to occupy my time in a positive manner is I'm giving speeches everywhere I go about climate change about what happened on fort myers Mm. beach about how the sustainable you know barrier island was not set up and i'm trying to educate through churches universities i just gave a uh, speech last night at uh, kennesaw state university and you know in front of hundreds um you know it doesn't stop just because you've gone through a traumatic experience uh the lesson is the more you strive the more you educate you know that's what's going to keep us going our greatest tool for this fight is education so we used to be a protest group and you know we still are and lobby and hit them from you know many angles but what we realized is education is what's lacking people have the blinders on, and it's not necessarily their fault they've been watching too much news listening to many corrupt politicians and believing them the reality is you know you want to follow the facts and the facts are our outdated water infrastructure system is archaic. Uh, to use you know it, the word bluntly, and mm-hmm. we need to you know, band together as not only uh, Southwest Water Clean Water Movement, but you know nationally to demand our leaders to upgrade this system and you know provide you know clean water for everybody. I mean, look at Flint, Michigan, years back. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's still going on. Look so at where we are. Uh, the Lego discharges, we're still dealing with it. Look mm-hmm. at uh, the Peace River by, uh, you know, Charlotte Harbor, they're dealing with mosaic with runoff. And we need to stop this. We need to hold our politicians yeah. accountable. Yeah. And, you know, really one do. last thing I'd like to say is uh, be kind to people who have suffered natural disasters because what I recognize is no matter where you go, and you try to tell your story, people aren't going to get it. They're not going to understand exactly the devastation and PTSD and trauma you've been through. So I applaud everybody who is standing up and speaking freely about it. And I would also encourage people to get, you know, professional therapy, because this is not something you can just bury under the rug when it comes mm-hmm. to a natural disaster as such.
0: Right. I agree. Thank you, John um thank you so much for being here and we'll be in touch and yeah i, I really like wish you the best uh now and into into the future so thank you
2: hey i thank you uh you know one last thing is um water is life and mm-hmm. you know everybody should be involved when i was much younger uh i thought this would be an easy battle to get into clean water right. everybody <laughs> but then i found out the long way uh not everybody's quite uh, that way. Oh, they have yeah. their own special motives involved. But don't oh, be intimidated. You know, mm-hmm. So always strive, always look forward to it because it's not about us, it's about our children. And you know, if you're sitting there thinking, this isn't about me, it is about you. It's about your grandchildren. It's about mm-hmm. you know your grandchildren's grandchildren, the future. If we don't have clean water, then we're not gonna have an existence. Exactly. All
0: right. Thank you, John
2: hey thank you have a blessed new year and happy christmas to you
0: thank you too all right be well thank you so much for listening to the keeping things alive podcast for more information please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org